Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you once again, we are privileged, blessed for having been here today. Lord, I thank you for our worship time. I pray, Lord, that you were blessed as we were and that, Father, we lifted your name up on high. I ask now that as we look into the remainder of our time together and look into your word, that, uh, Lord, you would open it up to us, that you would show us the truth, that you would challenge us wherever we are in, in life and whatever our our faith looks like, that, Father, you would challenge us to be different and um, be more like you. So, Lord, we thank you and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, why don't you all be seated? <clears throat> I want to put in a plug before we get started, okay, because I may forget at the end. Come back tonight, okay? We're going to have a barbecue. Uh, Tim Hensley has cooked these... Uh, pork roasts, and they're good. Tim does a good job. We're going to have a movie here tonight, and it's just going to be a good time. If you've already seen the movie, that's okay. If you choose not to stay for the movie, that's all right, but come and eat. You can't beat this, so come and be with us tonight. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever been on a sports team? You ever been on a team? Raise your hand. I think most everybody, at some point in life, somewhere you've been on a team of some kind, and there's a lot of lessons. I'm a big fan of of kids playing sports. I played sports all of my uh, young life, and uh, there's a lot of lessons that are there, a lot of lessons to be learned. For example, you learn the value of hard work on a sports team. You also learn that you can do more than you ever thought you could. It's amazing how how many uh, kids, young people, would um, have doubts about themselves, and they get on a sports team, and then they find out, hey, you know, I've got some talent, I've got some ability. And they end up doing way better than uh, they ever thought that they could. Also, you learn things like you get out of it what you put into it. This is usually what coaches tell their players. Um, You're going to get out of it exactly what you put into it. But as I look back on the years that I played sports, one of the big things that comes to mind as far as a lesson that I learned was just the value of teamwork and what that looked like and what it meant. Uh, I don't care what team you're on. It could even be a... Uh, an academic team of some kind, a spelling team, a debate team, a music team, whatever. But the point is this, that it's the team that matters. You're working together for the good of the team. And you are doing your part, and you're involved in this, and you learn the value of working together. This is a coach's biggest nightmare, trying to get all these individuals to work together as a team. And if he can do that, he can harness all that power, and they have a good year. And that's pretty much the way it is with us. We uh, have a lot of people um, in churches, for example, that are individuals. They tend to want to do their own thing and not see the value of working together as a team. Now, our passage that we're going to be looking at today is going to illustrate that. It's going to illustrate what teamwork looks like, and we're going to talk about how that applies to you and me, and especially in the setting of the local church. And um, hopefully we'll learn some things. I was thinking about this when I put the sermon together. I have never heard a sermon on this passage. It's one of those passages where you're in the book of Joshua that we're we're studying now. And when you get to this portion of Scripture, um, preachers usually just skip over this. I mean, there's a lot in Joshua to skip over, a lot of talking about the families and the division of the land. We're going to be skipping a lot of that, too. But as I looked at this passage, I thought to myself, you know what? I believe there's a lesson there. I believe there's something there for us. So I hope that this will be beneficial to you as we look at this 
this subject matter on teamwork today. First of all, let me begin by giving you the text and talking about the text, and I want to share with you a little bit of the context of where we are in this story and how this fits into it. So let me give you a little bit of the uh, context that we're in here. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, and we've talked about this in the weeks past, they wandered the desert for 40 years. And it was during that time that they moved from location to location. And one of those times that they had moved, they came up on the east side of the Jordan, looking into the land of Canaan, the promised land. And they were not going to be allowed to go in there yet. They would be soon, but not yet. And as they were there on that side of the Jordan looking in, there were a couple of tribes of the, of the twelve tribes, actually two and a half of another one. We call them the two and a half tribes that separated and eventually took that land. And, but here's the way it worked. They went to Moses and they asked him, they said, Moses, can we have this land? Because this land looks good to us. And we'd like to live here rather than crossing the Jordan River and going over into that land there. Can we do that? Now, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. God had given them all of the land on both sides of the Jordan and even more than that, some 300,000 square miles. So this was certainly in the, in the boundaries of what God had given them, even though God wanted everybody to go over and conquer the land in Canaan. But Moses agreed. There was one stipulation. He said... When it comes time, you have to cross over the Jordan and fight with your brothers and secure the land, and then you can come back. It's found here in Numbers chapter 32. Let me read this for you, the first couple of verses. It says, The Reubenites and the Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazir and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the community and they said, and we drop down a couple of verses to verse 5 and here's what they asked. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession and do not make us cross the Jordan. So they're saying, don't make us live over there, let us live here. So Moses agreed. But with that stipulation. So all of these years go by now. They're wandering in the desert forever. How many more years were left on the wandering? And it comes now to the book of Joshua. Joshua's ready to take them into this land. And let me just repeat again. There are going to be so many lessons that we learn as they go into this land. So many things that are applicable to to the Christian life. But here they are. And Joshua's going through the camp and he's saying now, Tomorrow we're going to make ready because we're getting ready to cross the Jordan. And that was a big deal. The Jordan was flooded at the time. God has to part the waters like he did the Red Sea. And they go over. It's a, it's a wonderful story. But as he is preparing, he goes to these two and a half tribes. And here's what he says. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, here's what he says. But to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half a tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. He's saying, now, do you remember that? A lot of years have gone by. You came and you asked Moses if you could live over there or really right here because that's where they were at the point, at that point. He said, do you remember that? Remember what Moses said? And they, they agreed, yes, we do. So in verse 14, Joshua tells them this. He says, here's what's going to happen. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. 
But all of your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. And until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So there's the instructions. Now, you guys can have this land that we're in now, but we're crossing over the Jordan in the next day or two, and you're going to go with us. But you're not only going to go with us, your armies from your two and a half tribes are going to be in front, and they're going to lead us into battle. And once we've secured the land over there and everybody has their possession, then you can come back to where your wives, your children, your flocks and herds are on this side. But you have to go over. Now, the campaign to take that land on the other side of the Jordan took them about seven years. They didn't know that at the time, but it took them seven years to secure the land. And it was a a campaign that's, that's just phenomenal. We're going to talk a little bit about that later, but... Here's how they responded, starting in verse 16 of this passage here. Then they answered Joshua. They said, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And whatever you, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against the word and does not obey it, whatever you have, may have commanded him, we will put them we will put to death only be strong and courageous they said not only will we go we're going to be in the front lines we'll fight with these our our people and if any of our people disobey if any of our people don't want to go then we'll put them to death we're that committed to this and what you find here is the perfect example if you will of what teamwork is all about Now, it goes on to say, just let me read through these passages. We'll get past this in the story, then we'll start drawing it together. They did just that, because the text tells us in Joshua chapter 4, in verses 12 and 13, it says, The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord, to the plains of Jericho for war. So 40,000 out of these two and a half tribes. Now, Israel had an army of about 600,000 men at this time. It's a phenomenal army. And they're all going to cross over and go through the battles of securing the land. And we're going to talk about that, too. We're going to talk about, is God really fair? You know, it's a good question because of what he did and the carnage that took place. What is that all about? How does that fit in to here we are as a Christian and the Christian life, and this is supposed to depict at least an example for us what the Christian life is about. So how do you make that jump? We're going to talk about that. But so they go ahead and they fight, and for seven years they fight and they battle alongside their their brothers and this this, uh, group of people that they had come to know and love and Seven years later, now they return home. Now listen to what happens, okay? Watch. In Joshua chapter 22, verses 2 through 4, it says, And Joshua was talking to them, and he said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a, a long time now, to this very day, you have not 
deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God has given them rest, as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. So here it is. This is the story in a nutshell. They said, we'll do it. We'll go. We'll fight. Even though it's not our land over there, we're going to go fight. And and we will come back to our land. But before that, for seven years, we're going to go over there and help them get the job done to fulfill the mission that God has given us, and then we'll come back home. And they did it, and they did it beautifully, faithfully. And they served the Lord, and they served Joshua, and they served the rest of the nation. And like I said earlier, this is a perfect example of what teamwork is all about because there was nothing in it for them. Their land was back over here. They didn't need to go over there, but they they knew they had to. And they went, and they helped one another, and they worked together as one team. Now listen, because here's where we're going with this, okay? I want you to take this example of the team and the effort they put together as a team, and I want you to bring that forward now to the the church, to this church in particular and to other churches all over the world, and make this application that we are to work together for the good of the team, the group, Just like they did. This is what God would have us to do. And so we come together and we help one another like they did. And we help the team like they did. And even though, like I said earlier, there are many Christians who see themselves as individuals. And a lot of times we don't really care about the team. We don't care about what's best for the group. We don't care about the mission. We don't care about what we're doing. We, we want to come in and we want to just be ourselves. We want to be left alone. We want to sit on the fringe. I want you to understand that you don't really have that privilege. You really don't because in the eyes of God, you're part of this team. And no matter where you are, no matter what church you go to, God says that you go in with the rest and you battle and you help each other and you support one another and you lift each other up and you do the things you're supposed to do because that's what I want. That's the mission that I'm giving you. Not everyone understands that. Like I said, a lot of people just are concerned only about what's best for them. So let's move into this now and make some applications because there are three things I want to share with you concerning the team and three things that are common in that team. You could probably take these things and apply them to sports teams and whatever, but these are unique to the church. There are three things that hold us together as a group. There are three things that we rally together around. And you need to understand that because if you are a believer, you're part of this whether you like it or not, whether you want to be that or not, whether you want to, like you know they did, they had to cross over in front, in the front lines, It doesn't matter what you and I want. This is who God says we are. And this is the relationship that we share together. So the three things that hold us together as a team, what are they? Here they are, very simply. Number one is this. We're held together by a common faith. We are held together by a common faith. Now I want to show you something going back for a moment to this story of Israel. Because it's not over yet. Now, you need to see this because this is one of the most puzzling passages or, or events that took place in the Old Testament. 
And I want you to understand what's happening and why it's happening, okay? Those two and a half tribes, as they are leaving the rest of the people and heading to home, they now come to the Jordan River, and it's not swollen or flooded or anything, so they can cross over okay. But before they cross over, they do something. Now watch. Joshua chapter 22, verse 10 says this. When they came to Gileoth near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half a tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. Now they built an altar, and it seems non-threatening. You know, it seems like, why is this a problem? But before they cross over, they're in the land of Israel now. They decide they're going to build an altar, and it's a big one. It says that it is an imposing altar. That thing's huge. Now here's what happens, because the rest of the Israelites hear about it, and here's what happens in chapter 22, Joshua 22, in verses 11 and 12. Now listen carefully. And when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Gilead, near the Jordan, on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Now, guys, you need to understand the severity of this. These are people who just fought side by side and died together in the seven-year campaign to secure this land. These are the people who, even though they had the land of their own already on one side of the Jordan, are saying, we'll go over with you and we'll go in front of you and we'll fight the hardest in order to help you secure your land. And now on the way out of the land and across the Jordan and back into their possession, they build an altar. And for some reason, the rest of the Israelites who were in the land look at this and now they're ready to kill them. You've got to ask yourself, why? What's going on? Well, you need to understand something that's unique about Israel. And that is that Israel, according to what Scripture tells us and according to what the commands of God were, is that Israel was to have no other gods. I'm it. They're going into a land where they, they practiced child sacrifice. They're going into a land where they had altars that they would walk up the steps with their babies and drop them into the fires. They did horrible things in these pagan countries. And God gave them very specific commands. That you worship here where I am at the uh, Ark of the Covenant. It can be in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, wherever it may be. Whether it be in Shiloh or Bethel or whatever, wherever it is, that's where you come to worship because that's where I am and I'm not going to be anywhere else. Now that doesn't mean that spiritually he wasn't, but physically God was present at the Ark of the Covenant as the clouds shrouded and surrounded that place. And so the instructions were very clear. Now, here's what is happening. Israel had already learned a lesson, and we're going to talk about this one too in the future, that we live or die together. Every time Israel was blessed by God, all of Israel was blessed, whether they all deserved it or not, because God looked at them as one person, one team, one unit. And every time Israel was judged because somebody did something wrong, the whole place got judged and innocent people died because they lived and died together as one. Now, all of the rest of Israel is looking at this event and they're saying to themselves, what are they doing? God said, don't do that. 
We're over here worshiping as God has given us instruction, and our brothers are doing this bizarre thing. What are they doing? And so they decide they're going to kill them because they assume that they have, have built an altar somewhere else for worshiping the way they want to worship, whomever they want to worship. And they're assuming they're going off into idolatry. And they know very well that if God chastens them, it falls on all the rest of us too. But they have enough wisdom to at least send an entourage of people to find out what exactly is going on. And so they sent the messengers, and the messengers asked them, What are you doing? Are you getting off into idolatry? Are you building an altar to offer sacrifices over here when God told us not to? Here's their response. Now I want you to see this, okay? So pay attention. Joshua 22, verses 24 through 28. And we're going to pick it apart to look at it. They said, no. We did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. You Reubenites and Gadites, you have no share in the Lord. So your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. Now you've got to understand what they're saying here. They're, they're saying, no, we didn't build it to offer sacrifices. Our concern is this. We got up here to the boundary line and we're getting ready to cross over the Jordan. And we thought to ourselves, you know, years from now, are they going to remember what we did? Are they going to remember that we're part of this team? Are their descendants going to say to us, we don't have any part in Israel? If we're not Israelites, are they going to say to us, we don't belong there? Are they going to say to us, don't even bother coming back here to worship on the feast days and the Day of Atonement and all the celebrations? Don't even bother because you're not part of us. Are they going to say that? And so out of concern for that, they build the altar. Now watch their reasoning. In the next verse it says, This is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar, but not for burnt offerings and sacrifices, on the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and to you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. It goes on in verse 28, it says, and we said, if and we said, if they ever say that to us or to our descendants, we will answer. Here's their answer. Here's our logic. Look at the replica of the Lord's altar, which our ancestors built, not for burnt offerings and sacrifices, but as a witness between us and you. Our ancestors built this altar, the replica of the altar that you have there, and we'll come to your place of worship and worship the God of Israel. But we built this so that your descendants would know that the people that live on the other side of the Jordan are of the same faith as you. One faith. You see, that was the, the, the unique thing about Israel. They believed in one thing. One God. And they were scared to death that something would change over the years. I mean, somebody would lose sight of that because they understood very well that the thing that held them together was their common belief in the God of Israel. Now, you move ahead now to the church and you move into the New Testament. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. 
There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all. Who is over all and through all and in all. Paul saying, look, there aren't any more. This is it. You want to know what holds this church together? Common faith. One belief. And let me say to you that you are part of a team that is centered around their faith. And it does not matter who you are, what your past is. It does not matter your talents or your lack thereof. It doesn't matter who you are as far as your relationship to the Lord right now or what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter about your failures. It doesn't matter about your sin. When you come to Christ by faith and put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God says you have now become part of the team. And we are of one faith. And guys, it applies to everybody that has been a part of this church from years past that have left for whatever reason or have moved away or whatever reason that may be. They are all part of us. They're one faith. And when you enter into this, this church, by faith in Jesus Christ, you enter into a group of people who are joined together by the common faith. And this is the unique and the beautiful thing about Christianity. Because God doesn't say to you that you have to measure up or be a certain way or act a certain way or look a certain way. He doesn't say that. He says when you come into the group by faith, you're part of us. And guys, you want to know what makes us a team? You want to know what holds us together? It's that, our common faith. But there are two other things that I want to go through very quickly. Number two is this. The thing that holds us together is a common family. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are mentioned numerous times in the Bible. This is how Israel is referred to. We are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Jacob had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, the beginning of the nation. God changed his name. You will no longer be called Jacob, he said. From now on, you will be called Israel. When we talk about the children of Israel, we're talking about the children of Jacob. This is who you are by birth. This is your makeup. This is your family. They suffered in Egypt together as a family. They came out together as a family. They wandered for 40 years together as a family. They fought the fight in the land of Canaan as a family. They shared the promises together as a family. They are united by that common heritage. Now you move again into the New Testament. You move into the church. And God says to you and me, there's a little bit of difference, but still the commonality. You're totally different. You are people from different nationalities, people from different races, people from different backgrounds, people with different pasts, people with different ideas and values and everything else. But you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you not only have a common faith, but now you're part of a common family. Whether you know it or like it or not, it's there. And that's who you are. We're going to spend eternity together as a family. The bonds between believers is oftentimes stronger than the bonds between biological relatives. If one is a believer and one isn't, 
what you're going to find is the believing uh, people that you know in your church and run around with other believers, you're going to have a bond with those people that is stronger than a bond with a cousin or a brother or a parent or whatever who may not know the Lord. That doesn't mean that you don't care about them and love them. Of course you do. But there's a bond there that we know that we are family. And it doesn't matter really what church you go to. We're still family. And we're willing to sacrifice for each other. We encourage each other as family. We pray for one another as family. We minister to each other as family. And we minister with each other as family. We forgive each other the way family does. We restore each other when one has fallen. We restore each other because that's what family does. And again, some of you are content to stay back on the fringes, you see. I'm going to live my life out here on the fringe as a maverick, and I'm not going to really be a part of the group, the family, the team. Because I'm a maverick, and I'm an individualist, and I want to be me, and I want to be myself. And in reality, what I really mean to say, and I'm just too scared to say it, is I care more about me than I do you. But you see, family doesn't do that. And as part of our growing and maturing as Christians, we've got to understand this relationship. Who God says that we are. And God says to us that what holds this team together is this common relationship. It's your family. And whether you like it or not, whether you like your family or not, they're yours. And you know, the, the, hopefully the most joyful part of this, for some of you may think, you may think it's the most saddest part, but you're going to spend eternity together. Forever and forever. Amen. That's right. We're family. And as such, we need to treat each other as such. We need to understand that and live it out in our everyday lives. Very quickly, the third thing that holds our team together, that we build this team around, is this, the common goal. We are all called to a common goal. Uh, the text there in Joshua said the mission. They had a mission. Israel's common goal or mission was to secure that land. Secure the land, grow the nation. The Messiah is coming to this nation to then go to the world. This is your role, Israel. This is your role. And they did it and they did it well sometimes, but others they didn't. We'll talk about that later. Our common goal is not a physical goal. Now listen to this, okay? Because even though their goal was to secure the land, our goal is a spiritual one. It's not necessarily physical in nature. Let me show you where your goal comes from. This is the goal of what the church is to be about. This is what we as Christians are to be about. We are of one faith, one family, and this is our goal, our common goal. Now listen very carefully. It's found in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, and here's what it says. Paul is talking to the Colossians, and here he says, talking about the Lord, he says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. What's our common goal? To present everyone as a mature believer in Christ. 
He says, we proclaim Christ to the unbeliever. We teach the believer. We admonish the believer. If he's getting off path, we hold him accountable. We give him instruction. We come alongside him and give him support. We, we love each other that way. And we do it with all wisdom. In other words, God's directing, directing us through this. So that, here's the reason why. Paul says, because someday we're going to stand before God and we're going to be able to present, and I don't know how this works, but present to God the people that we have impacted for Christ to say, yeah. To some degree, ever how that may look, ever what the result may be, we are here to present this person to Jesus Christ as a mature believer. Now, guys, you know as well as I do all that goes into that. You know the effort that goes into that. It's not only evangelism, but it's also the discipling part of Christianity. Drawing people in and making them feel like a part of the group. Helping them understand the love of God and the love that we have for them. It's teaching. It's holding people accountable. It's correction. It's instruction. It's all of the things that we as believers are to do. And all the things that so many believers refuse to do. It's the reason why we come together. We attend a church because we are after the goal. We're trying to impact somebody's life. We're trying to have somebody impact ours. It's the reason we give our money. Because there's a goal, there's a mission. It's the reason we get involved. It's the reason we teach Sunday school classes and watch kids in the nursery. It's the reason why we take and sacrifice our time and our effort to be there for people that need help. It's the reason we plan activities and take trips and retreats and Bible studies and all the things that we do. It's not just to take up time and do it because, hey, that's what Christians do. No, there's a point behind it. Because wherever you are in your spiritual walk, whether you are searching for Jesus Christ and don't know it, or whether you already know the Lord and just are stagnant and not growing, whatever it may be, you may be a mature believer who needs a place to serve, whatever that may be. This is the family. And we're united as a family, and we're united with one faith, and we have a common goal. And that's to help you, wherever you may be, to move along and mature in Christ and grow stronger. And guys, I don't care who you are in this church, that is your goal. Whether you like it or not, God gave you the goal. God decided that. We didn't. And every one of us has to play their part. We share our faith. We're involved. We give. We, we sacrifice. We put forth the effort. And sometimes we as Christians in a church will do our best to get out of as much as we can. Because probably we just haven't caught a vision for the goal. It's like in any church. I think the statistics are are something like 20% of the people do 80% of the work. There are a lot of people in every church, including this one, who are so busy. So busy. And they put forth the effort and they sacrifice their time and they reach out to people and they do things. And the the reason why is because there's a goal that they want to reach. They want to impact somebody for the Lord Jesus. I heard somebody say one time that a football game is described like this. 
100,000 people in desperate need of exercise watching 22 guys who are in desperate need of rest. And that's about the way it is in a church too. We have three things that hold us together. Our common faith, our common family, and our common goal. Now here's the challenge. Just listen very carefully. There are too many of our teammates on the sidelines. Too many of our family members who aren't involved. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. You need to step up and take part. You need to step up and get involved. And yes, it will be a sacrifice. It will cost you time and effort and maybe money and whatever else. But you need to be involved. If you think that you can ride the fence, that you can just be a believer in Christ and care only for you and nobody else, then that you don't understand what the church is. Because it's a team. And you don't have the luxury of riding the fence. You just don't. It's not the way God instituted this thing called the church, and it's not what God expects. So the challenge that I want you to consider is this. You need to make a fresh commitment to the team. In whatever area of your life where you have failed, it might be your giving. You know, the army runs on money. Sad to say. The bills are still coming due. Things are needed. Ministries have to take place. And I wish that we could just do it without money, but unfortunately we can't. So maybe your part in this is to begin to see where you've fallen down and let the team down because you're not giving. Others of you, maybe it's because you're just not involved. You have worked so hard to get out of doing anything. Why don't you take a risk? Why don't you take a risk and say, okay, Lord, this year, this time, I'm going to begin and find out where you want me to be in this process and this family and this team, but I'm going to get involved. And I'm going to do things that maybe I've never done before. And yes, I'm going to learn that, you know what? I never thought I could do it, but now I see that I can. Yeah. But it takes that if the team is going to do the job. So I'm asking you for a fresh commitment to your team. One faith, one family, one goal. That's who we are. And regardless of whether you're at this church or another church, that's the same thing. One faith, one family, one goal. If you're here this morning and you've never understood the gospel of Christ, let me read you this one verse. It's in John chapter 3, verse 16. Here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's pretty straightforward. That you and I are sinners, we're lost, we're judged by God and will be condemned to hell. Except for one thing, that God loved you so much that he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice, to be the substitute. And he died on the cross, the altar of God, as a sacrifice. 
And God the Father took all of your sins from the day you're born until the day you died, and He laid them there on Christ. And He paid for them. And in order for that to be could become a reality for you, you put your faith in Him. This is why it says that whosoever believes, trusts, has faith in, this sacrifice will never perish, but has eternal life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. You're here this morning and you have doubts about your salvation, then settle it here right now. You turn to God in faith. You express again before God that, Lord, yes, I do trust you. I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I need a Savior, and I've realized that you're it. And right now, right here this day, I put my faith and trust in you. For all the rest of us that are here this morning, we are in the family of God. We are on the team. You don't have the luxury of bowing out. God says get into the front line ahead of everybody else and serve them because that's what teams do. Our Heavenly Fathers, we bow here before you this morning, Lord. We are overwhelmed with reality of who, who we are in Christ. And Lord, this relationship that you have established for us as believers and the team that we're on, we thank you for that because, Lord, it means so much to us. May we live up to our part, Lord, as team members. And may we get out there in the front and may we say to you and to others and to ourselves that we will do whatever it takes. Our goal is very clear to present everyone as a mature believer. Where do I fit into that? Then I will discover that. I'll find that out. But Lord, I will never retreat again. I'll never back down again because I'm part of this team. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name.